Hi there, Film Files. What's happening? Today is Tuesday. It's 9 p.m. at the tip top of the hour. I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randolph. I'm Ben Snowden. And tonight we watched... Well, you're going to have to stick around because I I have no clever transition here. It was just something. <laughs> and this is Movie Show Theater. In a world where movies are everywhere, these heroes will make sense of some of the world's strongest films. Jimmy, Ben, and Stuart. This is... Movie Show Theater. Anyway, we watched Tommy Boy, right? Isn't that what we watched? No. Yeah. Oh, I've been working all day on my character arcs for Tommy Boy. I just no. figured I watched Toy the Story. ending out. I watched, oh. I watched Toy Story. We watched Tommy. Yeah, we watched Tommy from 1975. 1975 Tommy's classic rock opera. Tommy Sands Boy. Yeah. So we've been, who. we've been doing this thing for about a month now. I don't know how much longer I'll uh, preface our movie choice with this, but we have 40, uh, 45 now. Uh movie choices that we've selected in a bag and uh, ranging from movies we really don't want to review to movies we're really excited to review. Tommy was Ben's choice. Kind of. uh, Sort of. It was was just one of those things that for some reason it was lurking in my subconscious and it combined with the thought of, you know, we've had some... Or well, we, I, I should say we did Spinal Tap, so it has music, but it's not really a musical, whereas Tommy is... It is a rock opera, but a rock opera pretty much is a musical. Right. It's a different like, I think kind of musical almost. No spoken the, word, the, I no, think, is no what separates. No spoken word. That separates it. Yeah, it's a lot of shing, singspiel is what it's called. It's like singing and speaking at the same time. And so that's the story is genuinely told with the music in Tommy just like a traditional opera versus a musical like, well, I don't know, Grease or something like that where a lot of it is actually spoken word. And, yeah, the music is a large part of it, but... You you couldn't separate the music from Tommy, and have a story, at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it's there. I mean, that's what the story is, and it is completely told through the music. Most of it, really good music. I'm a big fan of the Who. I always have been. Some of it, not so much. Mm-hmm. You know, I've just it got bogged down a lot of times, and you know, and. But, Some of it was a stretch even for them because at that t- at that time, you know, they were expanding their sound. You can tell just by the original Tommy concept album. You can listen to that separately. And then it seems like they stretched themselves even more on the movie because they're working, you know, with directors, or I should say a director, uh, Ken Russell, and a whole production team. So obviously they're going to have to go above and beyond what they've usually right. done in order to fulfill, you know, the storyline that's coming into this movie. To flesh it out so it even makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you. I mean, even though it doesn't all make it doesn't sense, make sense. A lot of it really lot of it doesn't, doesn't make, make sense. sense. The whole last forty-five minutes of the film, in my opinion, just don't make any sense at all. But which is charm? I mean, I it think. does. It does make sense. I know they're trying to make. A, they're trying to do a comparison with the Messiah complex. It's a, you know, follow Tommy and all of your troubles will go away. Follow Tommy and. He will he will save the day and follow Tommy and your life would be great you know or whatever it was but again it it comes down to the fact that it was it very satirical against you know religion and 
organized religion specifically and and it was it I thought it was a really kind of a bold shot across the bow definitely particularly against the Catholic Church at that time especially the Maryland Monroe worship cult holy yeah. buckets that was hilarious the yeah. pop culture church of maryland the monroe the pop culture church of maryland monroe where you you know touch the hem of her plasticized skirt and you could possibly be healed and i i found that fascinating i found that absolutely fascinating because we do and even today we we deitize people who are our pop culture icons we we put them on pedestals we hold them as higher than you know higher than we are or we treat them as such at least in our media and everything else and and well, i think even, that even the ones who probably shouldn't be famous you know because oh absolutely obviously, obviously well after tommy there's the advent of reality tv and people like the kardashians oh, who get famous I don't even want to think and the reason they're that, famous yeah. is because they're famous they're famous for being sense. famous yes. yeah they're famous, they're famous for, for being, for being, being famous. infamous at this point and and frankly marilyn monroe had All you a, need is a sex tape <laughs> and you're famous. <laughs> At least Marilyn Monroe had talent. Marilyn Monroe was wonderful. And to boot, oh, talk about the female ideal. I'm sorry. You look at her, she had the curves. And and some of her films were just absolutely brilliantly done comedies. Absolutely brilliant. Eventually, I'm going to throw some into this program here, and I'm going to force these guys to watch them if they haven't already seen them. But, but again... The whole idea of worshiping somebody like Marilyn Monroe, which I'm kind of glad they chose Marilyn Monroe versus somebody else, you know, um, because it, it honestly at that point, who who else would have been worthy of something like that? You know, I mean, she she practically had a cult as it was the, after her after her suicide, unfortunately. But again, it was one of those situations where. As they're trying to pick who they're going to, you know, deitize, if, if you're going to pick somebody, why not her? I mean, you know, and Elton John later on obviously, you know, writes music about her, you know, Candle in the Wind. That's all about Marilyn Monroe. And so. I can't believe this movie is 40 years old. It's unbelievable. It blows my mind. I know. When I, I was thinking about the other, not rock operas per se, but musical movies put out by bands, you know, across the universe is one. and. Right. The wall, which the wall. I really don't care for. The wall. I mean, the the animation and the what they were able to do was great. But I think Tommy tells of all those movies that I've seen. I think, and I'll put Across the Universe aside because it came out so much later. But I think Tommy tells such a more narrative, linear story than a lot of the other ones do. Unlike Yellow Submarine, granted it's all yeah. animation, but if you don't do drugs, the movie is, you can't... <laughs> you can't sit through it. <laughs> right. There's there's no... Well, Tommy know, would probably it, be well, Tommy, by oh, some yeah. intake of one Something. kind or yes, another, no I kidding. wouldn't absolutely. imagine. I Especially because Ken Russell is probably, I don't know, uh, this movie and then, you know, The Lair of the White Worm and Altered States, which are all just... Movies that if, if you saw Tommy and then those other movies, you'd probably right. understand why he's known for his style, which is, I, I guess, mind-bending is the word that comes to mind, the phrase yeah. that comes to mind, because <laughs> his visuals just pop. You know, I, I think that's one thing that might separate Tommy from those other um, music-based uh, rock movies, whatever you want to call them, just because of the techniques used. The visuals are stunning. Um, 
even the, a scene that would probably be mundane in another director's hands. I, I think of the Christmas scene when they're talking about him being damned, Tommy being damned because he supposedly can't see or hear or speak. So how is he supposed to let Jesus into his heart? Just <laughs> yeah. like the use of ornaments and them dancing around and right. how striking all of that was really shows how creative Ken Russell is. Yeah, I would say, so I thought it was interesting that I don't have a problem with these like personal beliefs that whether it's the writer or you know members of the band, we talked about how there's so many gratuitous shirtless scenes with Roger Daltrey. I'm sure that he had some hand in you know all well, of course they're, they're all narcissists. I'm I'm sure of that, but you don't really see popular bands of any genre putting out pieces of art that kind of have their social and political agendas. Not necessarily pushing them on you, but even just suggesting or, you know, playing around with things like organized religion and I would venture to guess the last ones that I that really were they're more concert films than anything. I think Madonna probably did a couple, you know, that Truth were, or Dare. Truth or Dare. That's more of a concert film than anything else. Mm-hmm. But I mean there was a lot of behind the scenes sort of thing. It wasn't really a story so much. But you're absolutely right. Bands just don't do this. They don't tell stories with their their albums anymore. Because and, and let's be honest, the reason, very simply, is that people don't buy albums anymore. They don't buy a complete set of music that's meant to go together. Mm-hmm. They buy a song. They buy, you know, one or two songs that they heard on the radio or wherever they heard it from their friend or whatever. And and they want that song. They can pick and choose. Well. If you listen to Tommy or The Wall or just about any of those albums from that era, if you just listen to one song, you're not getting the entire picture. You're not getting the entire story. And so you're not maybe appreciating what they're trying to do with the story or the, and the music itself. And that's unfortunate. I think that's something that we've really lost in a lot of ways. And I know that sometimes it's coming back now. Some, some. And, and the whole scene with, uh, with uh, Tina Turner... Uh, the acid oh, wow. queen. Yeah, so let's that talk about that. That went kind of cosmic. That, that kind of went out there. That was a little bizarre. I was like, Whoa. Yeah. I loved, I loved yeah. their use of practical effects. Even though the wall came out, you know what year the wall came out? I want to say early eighties. Yeah, yeah, it was well like eighty one, eighty two, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can't remember exactly when it came out. I'll be honest. With well, you. what I want to know is, okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a few steps back to the start of the film so you're a world war ii pilot right british world war ii pilot and you're supposed to be dead yeah yeah okay mm-hmm. all right yeah. That, that's, yeah, that that's, that's, that's one yeah. thing that's strange is because and, when the who recorded the album it was for world war one it was based on world war one when right. you flash forward to the movie it's world war ii but you're a british world war ii pilot you survive a plane crash and you die when a guy hits you over the head with the lamp what and that's you know what snaps Tommy into his catatonia, basically. Yeah. You know, I mean, it it flips his switch somewhere in his head and forces him to become this this stoic, non-responsive child up until you know, well, right after you know he's an adult, practically. So yeah. I mean, I I I think that the whole thing was. I think he did come home. I think that it was. It, it, the way it was portrayed was done for story more than anything else, and it was pretty thin plot at that. I mean, it was real thin. Yeah, Dad's at home. Why hasn't he sent a letter? Why hasn't he called? Why hasn't he done any of those things? Why are you going to just show up? That, that Actually, I was confused 
uh, within the first 20 minutes of all of their names, but <laughs> yeah. Kevin's the cousin, Ernie's uh, the uncle. uncle, there's a Bernie's camp, and then Frank, Frank is, is the, the stepfather. stepfather right. Yeah, because when you, when you uh, get to that scene where they drive into the holiday camp on the bus and it says Bernie's and this guy steps out, you think, oh, well, that's Bernie, and right, it's his right. holiday camp because he seems to run the place, but his name's Frank. <laughs> I don't know if they didn't really think that through. No, I, yeah, but, or they wanted to call uh, someone symbolism, Ernie. That's what. That's, that's what symbolism. It is. Frank that's what rep- that is. represents backs away slowly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do love Bernie's. So then it was Bernie that was like walking us through the holiday camp with the swimming pool and the lovely legs competition. No, that was Frank. That was Frank. That was Frank. Frank. Yeah. Well, his facial expressions and reactions are like so Keystone Cops and so Marx Brothers. They were fantastic. Oh yeah. That was really entertaining. Oliver Reed is is one of the those actors who is so unsung because of the roles that he's played through that he played throughout his career. He he has he did a lot of kind of B movie sort of things throughout his career, but he had a couple of real standout roles, and most of it happened towards the end of his Gladiator. career. Gladiator, yeah, Gladiator, he was in outstanding Gladiator. in Gladiator. Yeah, he was really great. He was in really great in Gladiator. Another one that I absolutely love him in, and I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Yeah, good old Gilliam. Love The Adventures of Baron Munchausen as he plays Vulcan, the god of you know fire and forge, and. And I thought that was just the most hysterical thing. And, you know, in, if you if you look at his filmography, it really is strange and varied. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of all over the place what he played. And so this, I guess, is not necessarily out of his wheelhouse necessarily, but it still was a weird film choice for him as far as I'm concerned. Except for the fact that apparently he couldn't sing. No. Barely at all. And that, that was one of the holdups in the production is that he had to record you know really sporadically because he didn't sing and that's one of the things that i was reading is that uh when jack nicholson came up for the part of the doctor or specialist mm-hmm. that they were really wary of casting him and then he started singing like oh no you're, oh, you're you good sing. yeah no yeah. problem yeah i think i read um i can't remember who they were considering for that part instead of jack nicholson yeah there are a bunch of alternate uh, roles peter that- sellers Stevie Wonder really wanted to be the pinball wizard. And Peter then... Peter Sellers was yeah, yeah, was yeah. up for the the doctor part. Yeah. No, I, I think that the uh, you know Oliver Reed he, he was also in oh what was the name of the film? It was a campy, stupid nineteen eighties film. I think it was Top Secret or something like that, where he played a bad guy in that. And there was a scene of him all mushed in a car, standing in a doorway. And, you know, he didn't do a whole lot of comedy in his time, but there were a couple of instances, like Munchausen and and Top Secret, where he did, and and it went over really well. But he was more of a classically trained actor and, and somebody who... You know, would have would have been more. I would have thought would have been more suited for the stage rather than than the screen. And and in this case, I I thought he was creepier than creepy the entire time, and was perfect for the part. I mean, I, I yeah, maybe he couldn't sing that well, but then, you know, Anne Margaret couldn't sing that well necessarily either. But I'll tell you what though, Anne Margaret. Holy cow! Her, oh. her body language and blocking and just oh. general like theatrics. She is were so incredible. gorgeous. She is so gorgeous still, even to this day, and she's in her seventies. 
Yeah. Well, if I a think... woman can look good when she's rolling around in laundry detergent and, and chocolate and beans, be- then big she, beans. Yeah. She's she's really doing something special. That was one of the filthiest, nastiest scenes I've ever seen. It's well, the parallel of her, you know, being in mental torment in this pristine palace, and you know she has that fantasy and she rubs the beans on her. I thought it was chocolate. I'm pretty well, sure there was part of the. It was part of the. Was there um, chocolate in the scene? Yeah, I think it was yeah. part of the commercials. It was the the uh, soap commercial. There was a chocolate commercial, and there was the baked beans commercial. But that's, oh, that's so much. But that's what it looks like. But it does. It does look that way. But no, I I think that they were after. It seemed to me as though they were making some sort of a comment on advertising and and just basic consumerism in in and of itself and how dirty it is or whatever you know how- which they they do kind of link back with tommy and his religion so to speak being a product you know like uncle ernie's outside selling all this junk oh yeah mm. all that like the Those like silver the, pins the, or whatever the the, the the t-shirts and the the glasses that have the earphones and the eye blocks and the mouth dude bag. you sell those today those hipster kids are gonna eat They're that gonna up eat we're gonna that bring up. that up no and we're kidding. gonna be really rich but one thing we haven't mentioned either and it's a part of the film that I thought was highly unnecessary. Just the abuse Tommy takes from cousin Kevin and then Uncle yeah, Ernie. That Uncle was, Ernie, that was disturbing. I mean, there, just a there are, bit. even when it's just the like the Acid Queen part that comes after, um, that that part is probably dark enough oh, and out yeah. there enough. But you know, you have Tommy being fiddle pretty much fiddle about. Water, I think was the song waterboarded yeah. and almost drowned in a toilet, and then after that by his Uncle Ernie. You know, he's pretty much sexually molested you know you kind of wonder implied rather than seen but yes yeah which i like i'm trying to figure out where those fit in the grand scheme of things i'm just thinking to myself they, they don't really they don't. fit they just seem like really mean jokes i i feel like maybe funny. i feel like maybe the 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 defect in this is that maybe there were too many people that were trying to collaborate with this movie with production and writing and too many ideas and too many, you know, when it was 1975 and they had $5 million to play with, they're like, well, just everything goes in. Nobody's going to be taking money it too seriously. Too. Right, right. That's yeah. Huge, so I was like, huge budget. you know, little things like the parents, Nora and Frank, don't ever age. So I thought, well, maybe, I mean, over a period of what should be like 25 years. They, right. They didn't really put any effort into making it look like time has gone by so <laughs> so the acid queen i think was my favorite uh that whole song. bit yeah and, and i love the syringe iron maiden that was um, outrageous that was insane and the fact that it was extracting blood as opposed to injecting blood which would be a little bit of both like actually, a little bit yeah. of you know what i think after they closed like they opened the doors open then they mm. closed and then blood was injected I think it looked like blood, but I don't think it was blood. I think it was meant to be, and, and which is kind of a, a strange thing, I think it was meant to be a comment on heroin more than anything else rather than acid. My understanding is that acid is not something that's usually shoot up, showed yeah. up, shot up. And, and, so, and the whole bit was meant to expand his mind. Now, if they were going to give him acid, give him a little sugar cube with something on it, you know, mm. or something like that, and then let him trip on the bed instead of putting him into this Iron Maiden where, obviously, he's being injected with something. Now, the whole thing, obviously, is a comment on drug use and expanding your mind or – you know, changing Something. how you're some changing sort of your thought process. It I is mean, a, it some, is a transformation. Some sort of Absolutely. alteration. Of, you know, the it could be blood. It could be your life force. It, you know, whatever. Well, that's yeah. the thing too that we we haven't mentioned. Uh, not only is it a reference to drugs, but you get the impression that the acid queen is a prostitute. You know, because there's talk. Frank 
brings Tommy into this shady looking place, and there she are these is gypsy. And wait, no, Tommy's already sitting down because he's selling magazines, right? Yeah, yeah. He's selling magazines. He's selling there, magazines yeah. in the yeah. shady place. You almost feel like Frank has this as a, a, a side business for money laundering, something like that. And he he takes Tommy up to her, and she's a prostitute. So it's kind of this strange mixture of sex and drugs. And unfortunately, the band Iron Maiden isn't in this film, so it's not sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's <laughs> it's like a literal Iron Maiden, not the band, which it would have been right. pretty awesome yeah. if they were in, but they weren't no. really. They really had. I'd be scared I think to there watch were twelve. That, they really maybe. they yeah. really weren't known on the scene if they were still yeah. you know even even. Playing Playing at that point, yeah. or abandoned existence. Yeah. So I've been doing this. That's hilarious. I've been doing this uh, fun thing. Well, I think it's a fun thing. But looking up other movies that had come out the same year as the film that we're doing. So this was another tough year for competition. 1975, we had Jaws, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Rocky Horror Picture Show, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Dog Day Afternoon, Barry Lyndon, Rollerball, The Man Who Would Be King. I'll probably just edit that out because who cares about that one? And then That's we, my favorite uh, film of all time. <laughs> Death Race 2000, which yes. I love. My favorite David Carradine film. And uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty much it. But that's pretty impressive. You Good know, year there for were Gene Hackman. There were some really interesting kind of Monty Python esque moments in Tommy. Yeah, you know, the way it was filmed, you know, was very similar to the way a lot of the Python movies were filmed. I thought, you know, with some of the real kind of bizarre camera angles and kind of a skew way of looking at life, larger than life sort of things, you know. And I guess I guess the whole um the whole satirical take on messiahism and and that that religious thing at the end with Tommy being the the center of this religion I, I that struck me as being almost comical and Monty Python esque a little bit as well. So. Yeah, but it seems like they were taking themselves awfully seriously, mm. considering the subject matter that they were. I think Roger Daltrey was. Yeah, good, I'm, good not sure I'm not the sure about everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not they, sure about they everyone have else. That, they have that. Uh, as soon as you said Monty Python, the first thing that I thought of was before, like the whole last 45 minutes is yeah. the whole third act. So the the scene where everybody's starting to come to the house. And you see that guy in that green, it looks like an old Wurlitzer keyboard that's oh, like a yeah, car. Oh, yeah, yeah, And that's very Dr. Ernie. Seuss, mm-hmm. very, yeah, yeah, exactly. The last carnation of uh, yep. Ernie. <laughs> now he's just a playful uncle. Yeah. Which, the, it's almost like you don't know what to think of him at that point. Because he's, he's already just a paper-thin character like a lot of the characters in this movie are. Because, you know, they they have so many characters and not a whole lot of time, you know, to develop them. So it's just like, you know, is he a horrific pedophile or just crazy Uncle Ernie who's drunk all the time? Yeah, I think maybe yes. it, it could be ideas. Or both, of, all of the him. above. Yes, yeah, because I mean, above. realistically, he can't be, I don't know, you show somebody who's essentially, you know, physically and mentally and emotionally abusing a little boy, doesn't have much hope for the future as a character and trying to get empathy and sympathy and love from audience members. So maybe it's like, now nah, let's throw Uncle Ernie, let's give him a different... Not alter ego, but let's give him a different sentiment. Let's give him a, some different motivation. You guys, it's Keith Moon, huh? 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 Am yeah. I right? Yeah. Keith Moon, everyone. <laughs> he can sure play drums real oh, good. Man, I'm pretty sure that uh, Keith Moon didn't even know they were making a movie. <laughs> it's like Keith just. Oh no, he knew. He's, he's credited he's like, for. Why do you guys keep calling me Uncle Ernie? He's credited for additional <laughs> material on IMDb, so it's yeah. my theory he wrote the whole thing. Oh, I thought that meant he supplied the cocaine for the production. <laughs> More of the than film. likely. Yeah. More than likely. I think one of my favorite scenes, too, um, he is playing drums, 
it's one of the band performance scenes, and you can clearly hear cymbals, but there are no cymbals on the yeah. drum set. <laughs> and so it's just like he's banging on, you know, like a, yeah. a tom and a snare, but there, there aren't any cymbals, and you hear cymbals, and you're just like, wait a second. He's that good of a drummer. He can emulate the sounds of cymbals <laughs> from other pieces of percussion. Yeah. Wow, Unbelievable. Keith, you were amazing. I was reading this interview with Dennis Quaid a couple years back in Rolling Stone, and he's a recovering alcoholic and drug addict, and he doesn't, you know, he's very open about talking about it. But in the 70s and the 80s, drugs were paid for by movie studios as part of the oh, budget. Yeah. You know, certain production were allowed number of grams of cocaine or, you know. That's whatever, outrageous. What have you. That's just outrageous. Uh, and so this movie's sure evident of that. I could see I could see booze on the set. I could see booze in the yeah, trailers. Yeah, I mean I don't that see I people understand. like smoking dubes, like no. setting up, like creating these set pieces. But I I can see writer like twenty twenty writers in a hot room at like two in the morning, s- right. smelling of sweat that you can't clean out, exactly and cigarette smoke, and just like not sleeping for three days. You know, and you come up with these ideas, and you're like, it's great, it's great, it's great. Okay, so then he's going to get on the keyboard, and he's going to, it's going to be awesome. And then right. nobody ever read it the next morning. They're right. just like, yeah, just go with it. So you come up with these ideas, like, you know, the, the Acid Queen. At the end of the song, I still didn't quite know if she was beneficial or malevolent. And, and then she has that maniacal laugh that's like, oh, you're here to do harm. You're not good. Again, I would say all of the above. Beneficial, malevolent, everything. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, again, that whole scene was definitely a trip in and of itself. He went through a transformation, at least internally, whether he went through it externally, who knows, you know, because when he finally starts to see and hear and everything else, it's not a direct result of anything that I, you know— was very conscious of. Yeah. You know, just started to see and hear and everything else, you know? But, like— the the color palette in this film is really interesting, and that's another really strong Gilliam. It very uh, much so. You yeah. know, a, a lot of times when you're watching a movie, there's a 30-second scene in a bathroom. You're not really meant to take notice of the decor of the bathroom, but that scene during Acid Queen when Tommy's hanging on the door and somebody is whipping him. I think it was Acid Queen. It was like a yellow bathroom, and Tommy is hanging on a like a door. That hook. wasn't Acid Queen. That was, was that cousin, cousin Kevin. Kevin. Oh, okay, yeah, that yeah, was cousin yeah. Kevin. Yeah, and the toilet seats all nailed up. Yes, yes, that's cousin Kevin. Yeah, that's cousin that's Kevin. Cousin what, Kevin what, what playing. Could you possibly have been going for? No, no, it was complete torture. I mean, that's all it was. It was that he he wanted to torture Tommy at that point, and yeah. successfully did so. Obviously, I mean, I mean, any anybody who comes out of out of this catatonia after seeing. His real father killed by his stepfather and then being told to ignore, don't talk, don't speak, anything about it. And then to be systematically abused by his uncle and cousin. I mean, you you know that wasn't just one time that that occurred because they went out all the time. You know, they were always going out. And so they left Tommy with these these creepers who who did stuff to him. Anybody who comes out of that at the end and is even semi-normal is still going to have hang-ups like you would not believe. They're going to have, oh, major hang-ups. All you really need to do is get thrown through a mirror and then land in a swimming pool. Then you'll be... You'll be completely better. fine. You'll be completely fine. Apparently, that was as I, long that, as your shirt's off. Though there were some. I, I don't know if well, it was intentional or not, because you know, like I said, Ken Russell as a director has some pretty absurd, over the top things. But I definitely laughed hard at that scene where he's just he's his mom's just 
throws him through a mirror out of frustration that's on at least a second or third level, and he lands in a swimming pool, and he's like, I'm so happy, I'm swimming, yeah, woo! <laughs> and then he just starts running, and then especially when he was um, – he was running across stock footage, like of beaches and stuff. That was pretty awesome. I love it. It's oh just my like gosh. it takes me back. It takes me back to when I was a kid, and I would watch, you know, every single um, episode of the original Batman series. Like just the oh, cheesiness that I love so much. Like Bam Pow. Oh look, it's the penguin. Oh wait, wait, wait a second. This is the penguin's lair, but it looks a lot like Batman's Batcave. Hold on a second. <laughs> Are they using the same set? So he wasn't running on a volcano. That was all fake. Well, actually, uh. I think it was just the the quality of the cameras they were using because Roger Daltrey could run across a volcano. Because no. he doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> have any shoes on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, uh, well, in this as, instance, he was a Christ figure anyway, so of course he could run across the volcano. This is true. Uh, I can't believe I haven't mentioned it up until this point, but the hang gliding. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> so, Don't worry, everyone. I'm coming. So there's this biker gang, and you know there's some gunplay, and I think a guy might and, even get shot in the leg or something. And that fight, that gang fight, was, was the worst was choreographed so fight I've ever I seen. I don't think there was oh, any God. choreography. It's just like, hey, guys, act like you're beating the crap out of each other right. and make yeah. it look good. Yeah, sure. Then wait a second. That was so Here's awful. a man on a white hang glider. And just pull each other's shirts for like three minutes. Oh man, that oh, I, for, I would. I think so I blocked good. that out. I hadn't remembered that. Yeah. At this point, it's the last quarter of one of the silliest movies ever made. I mean, the the music is the marquee. It truly yeah. is. That's what makes this movie. It's not the acting. It's not the singing. It's the actual composition of the music. And and you know, Pinball Wizard is a great song. You know, it's a great song from that era, and and Elton John had a big hit with that song when mm-hmm. it came out. You know, after this, and you know, to be honest, the Who they this was their bread and butter for a while. I mean, they really lived off of Tommy for a little bit, and and it again, great music performed in a great way on the stage. But again, this particular movie adaptation, I it just didn't, ugh, it didn't play for me. I didn't. I didn't enjoy it as much as I hoped I would. I mean, I've seen this several times over the years. But and, and go back to what you were saying about like the wall and stuff like that, and and other you know operatic type musicals sort of like, that were done by rock bands. The wall meant more to me because I think uh, the music was better, as far as I'm concerned. It was better than than Tommy's music. But you know, as far as the story goes and towards the end, I, I agree with you. The animation kind of got out of hand and the giant, you know, female genitalia wandering around and everything else. It just, yeah, I just, you know, the and, image, and I get it. It's a, it's a, it's a, oh, it truly is. I mean, the whole story is very depressing. But again, I thought the music was just better than Tommy. And, but that's just my opinion. I think, too, uh, I thought I read somewhere that Elton John's cover of that song was the only Who cover to ever crack the top ten. Mm-hmm. Does anybody else remember when Limp Biscuit covered Behind Blue Eyes? Oh, it was almost as good as Alien Ant Farm, Smooth Criminal. The only the only cover I can think of, um, when Pearl Jam did Love, Rain or Me, they did justice to it because they're actually a rock band 
with credibility. I'm not going to say it's as good as the original because it's not, but it's like, okay, this makes sense. Limp Biscuit doing Behind Blue Eyes, ooh, that's a little bit of a stretch. And it was for, I think, a really crappy Halle Berry movie, too. Yeah. Which Halle Berry movie? Was um, it? Swordfish. I'll have to look it up. Was it Swordfish? I, I don't think so. So I'm going to play a clip from uh, Tommy Boy. This is, he's woken up late for school, and he misses the bus, so he runs to the door, but he can't open the door because it's a push, and he's trying to pull it, so (laughs) he's always getting into trouble. We're not watching. No, no, just filling up some time. Oh, the movie is, all right, the movie is Gothica. Oh, I is did that, not like that. Was movie. that the one where it's related to Ghost an insane child. asylum? Yeah. Or yes, 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 yes. Yeah. yeah, that was weird. Hey, I'll give Fred Durst kudos. He made out with Halle Berry in the video. He made it happen. So even though the cover was craptastic, amen good, to good, Fred. Good for him. And I guess Limp Biscuit is still at least semi-popular in Europe. Strangely enough, and they can still sell tickets, so there's there's well, that. Well, Kraftwerk is still semi-popular in Europe. That don't mean they're good. So is Hasselhoff. That's true. Hey, the he Hoff. was in Kung Fury. Thank you very much. The Hoff will never die. So, yeah, the the end, I thought, is interesting and engaging. I obviously wasn't going to turn it off because it was starting to drag, but we talked about all the pinball machines on, on the set and all of the giant, huge pinballs. It was pretty impressive. Uh, there was some bad green screen, but... There was some also fairly decent choreography and cinematography with him climbing up the rock that looked kind of real. I mean, the stuff that's not real is really obvious that it's not. So it's pretty unlikely that they would up their game for other <coughs> locations that they weren't really at. And he didn't have shoes on, so I'm really he might have He might have actually climbed that, though. I, I might have to that check. That have been really expensive to but insure I, him. But I think it might have been uh, by Ken Russell's house. Like close to his house. Are you saying like in California somewhere? Or no, in, in England. Somewhere? In England. In England. Okay. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, there's a there are a lot of volcanic rock beaches there, so I mean, it is an island. So. No, just the the climbing the oh oh like the, oh the, the cliff literally face. like yeah. the next to last. Gotcha, scene. gotcha, gotcha. And I yeah. think they for uh, the supposedly gigantic pinballs they used um, buoys and just yeah that would, silver. that would explain yeah. the handles. That would explain the handles. Does anybody else remember the uh, the game from PE where you had one of those? Oh and you yeah, just, like bounced across the floor. Oh totally. Uh, I think it was part of you know scooter relays too. Like uh, you would maybe go to one end and come back, and then one person would be on the ball and bounce. Okay, scooter yeah, I think, relays. I remember not so much that one. But I think they stopped we did using those a lot because more than those. Nah. too many idiot kids like me and my friends used to hold up the balls and just run at each other full force. Ooh, Sumo right. wrestling, break necks yeah. every day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. sorry, didn't mean to break your neck. <laughs> uh, so we're, what we're trying to say here is the reason this this nation is going down the drain is because. Dodgeball is just being banned left well, and right. Well, natural know. selection is being banned. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, stupid kids don't get to get smacked in the head anymore. So, I think a good example life of lessons, natural lessons. selection in PE was Red Rover. No, oh, because yeah. that game. When my name got called, it was basically like, who are the two weakest little girls that I can see in the chain? And I'm just going to rip their shoulders out of their and sockets. Yet they still managed to clothesline you, didn't they? Uh, well, there was some biting involved. I got through. I got through. <laughs> I watched I watched a lot of wrestling, so, you know, I wasn't above, you know, dirty tactics. You know, like, hey, look, there's a table. Oh, he powerbombs him through the table. And hey, he has what's a that? Belt. Razor's Edge? Yeah. <laughs> hey, yo. 
I'll suplex oh, a chick God. and throw toothpicks in their faces. Oh man. Okay, real quick. Off topic I just, a little you know, bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. Let's bring it back just a second. I thought um, very beginning in the movie when Anne Margaret is uh, working in the the bomb factory. It was very telling when she was putting the bearings into yeah, the yeah. middle of the bombs like, oh, that were that were balls. essentially pinballs. Yeah, but think about it. At that point, when she falls, it is you know kind of a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to her son later on, you know, and everything else. Of course, duh, 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 duh. I mean, you didn't even have to. You, you could be deaf, dumb, and blind and still get that reference. I think, but yeah. I thought it was kind of interesting, nonetheless. For one other reason, I know they actually do put things like that into shells or did at one point in time. Can you imagine something like that being propelled out of an explosive? I mean, that would do so much damage. Oh, it would be awful. Yeah. I mean, that that, that, really that just made me think about, you know, as I was saying, and, and my mind went all over the place because I watched this bright and early in the morning, which... Probably was for the best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had my wits about me and everything. But again, it was one of those situations where I'm watching this and I look at it and I'm like, okay, yeah, number one, I know, I get what they're doing. I get it. But number two, wow, that would really hurt to have one of those come hurling at your forehead. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised to find out that the film came out six years after the album was released. Oh, it was a stage play before anything else. Right, right, you know, right. It was a stage production. So... And that that makes a great deal of sense to me in a lot of ways because you know they had to they had to get you know kind of feel it out and whether it was actually going to take off, and it did take off as a stage production and and it did very well in a lot of different places. Not so sure the movie did that well. I'm pretty sure it fell kind of flat, as a matter of fact, regardless of the fact that Anne Margaret was in it, and we got to see Roger Daltrey's nipples for the grand majority of the film. Yeah, and he uh, he was he was pretty he was pretty cut. Oh, yeah, no, again, very good-looking man at that point. And if you've got it, why not flaunt it? But he flaunted it a little too much as far as I'm concerned. That's just my personal opinion, of course. But I probably would have been shirtless all the time if I were him in the movie, you know, and just be like, why not? hey, I'm Roger Daltrey. I think Woo! he was. Uh, well, for the most part. I mean, for the last half anyway. So It was all for Sally Simpson. It wasn't. Oh, that's right. Little Sally with her Simpson. with her rock and roll Frankenstein, husband. yeah. Oh, jeez, oh, yeah. the Frankenstein so husband. That was creepy. Wow, that was just yeah. That was I'm one sorry. of those scenes that I laughed at too. Uh, there were so many like that where, you know, if you hadn't brought that up, I never would have remembered it because it was just it was kind of thrown in. It was an extra, you know, just kind of there. There's definitely a fair amount of filler in here because what Jimmy said, you almost get the sense that they didn't throw out anything or say, hey, that's not a good idea. Instead, they were just saying with a lot of things like the Sally Simpson segment where, you know, she's the super fan of Tommy. She goes to one of these gatherings. It's really a concert. And then it tells a little bit of her story. You know, her her father's a reverend and she ends up having a baby with this Frankenstein rockabilly star Who's but the, the whole time they're actually kids too. So even in the future, she's the same Sally Simpson, looking like a little girl. And absolutely, <laughs> it's just like wait, just, I, I can. Huh? I, I guess I kind of understand because if they're trying to do a throwback to a stage show, it's just like oh, that you're relying on the audience to right. project them into the future, and this song is you know set in the future, so you're putting these elements together. But still, I'm just like this is completely unnecessary. 
Really was. Yeah. The only thing that got me, though, is Sally Simpson actually looks a lot like my sister when she was younger, and I was watching it in a bizarre world kind of way. It's just like my sister wasn't born at that time, so I know it's not her, but Obviously. you know, if she had been in this movie, I would probably track her down and be like, yo, sis, why didn't you tell me? Well, that was a that was a special movie. I'm afraid this this film has probably lost a lot of its magnitude and impact over time, and I I don't think that it probably holds up as well as it did when it was first released. Stu, you mentioned it didn't do so well to begin with. It did make some money. It, it did, did, but it was uh, budgets was five million, box office was thirty four. So I don't know if that's no, it, it domestic made, or foreign, but well, it made money, but not a ton, and it made it paid for itself and then some. But again, it was one of those things where I don't think people were with the same with like the wall and everything. I don't think the mainstream was ready for stuff like this. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they they wanted they wanted Pat Boone, and they got you know this and and still it, it was it, and even after the 60s when that kind of went by the wayside the older generation was still hanging on to that time and was not ready for some of the imagery was not ready for some of the ideas and definitely was not ready to have their beliefs attacked whether blatantly or 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 you know under the carpet the way you know they might have thought but um i i think that box office wise it, today Something like this has got to be outstanding. I mean, it's got to be it's got to be groundbreaking. It's got to. I mean, Rent did well, but again, that was a musical before it hit the hit the screen. You know, um, across the universe, that was probably the closest we'll get. And I'm I'm pretty convinced that that didn't do very well either. That went, I mean, to DVD very quickly after it came out. And in even though that there are there are a lot of those baby boomers who embraced that music in that time of the Beatles, again, it, it, it was lost, I think, in a lot it was lost in translation with the modern audience in a lot of ways. Across the universe actually lost money. Did it really? Ah, see, and I, you watch that film, you listen to the music, and it's brilliant. It it's is brilliant, really great but... as far as the music is the the reinterpretation of some of the music. I thought it was wonderful. Now the actual film itself, eh, but the music again—that's yeah. what that's all about. Well, I haven't seen it, but what comes to mind for me, and it's somewhat recent. Uh, so it started off as a musical, Rock of Ages. I don't know if you guys—it yeah. it starred Tom Cruise. Right. Chris Hardwick actually played that role on, on, on Broadway or off-Broadway. He actually played that, that uh, Rock of Ages role for years, for a couple of years off-Broadway. Off and and that w- it, that's hilarious to me that he actually played that role, that Tom Cruise role, because that <laughs> the two could not be more different. So, so I know we talked about bombs earlier in the broadcast. Well, that's what Rock of Ages was as a film. Which shows that you can't just excuse me successfully take a stage production and just throw it into a movie. Rock of Ages, I believe, they take a lot of songs from you know the late seventies and eighties hair bands and try to mold it into a story. Uh, I know I would never willingly watch that film just because I've, no. I'm thinking to myself, let's see, Tom Cruise in a musical. No, it's just like my brain. I can wrap my brain around a lot of different ideas. That one, like the two halves of my brain, just. Yeah. Run in opposite directions. Like, forget no. you, I'm out of here. Yep. You so yeah, you, uh, the budget looks like estimated $75 million. Uh, as of August 12, 2012. The gross, uh, at least in the USA, was $38 million. No. So maybe they made some of it back if there's a, there's a, a you know, a cult DVD yeah. market cult following. But Speaking of cult following musical, musicals that have a cult following, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. 
perfect example of of a stage production that went to the movies and and tanked at first really did horribly at first but was picked up by counterculture and really was embraced and now today there's not a there's not a city in America that doesn't I don't you know major city in America that doesn't play it at least 30 times over the over in October during that you know that Halloween period where mm-hmm. people like to dress up act like freaks and sing music so I but I again I I was one of those at one point in time I love that musical for some of the oh. but for the music not necessarily the story again the story is just not a good story but yeah. the music is do you wonderful know, do you know when the Rocky Horror Picture Show movie came out 1975. You got it. Yes, it da, was. Da, 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 da. So I think with the Rocky Horror, you know, it's hard to predict which one. <laughs> I miss Bob Barker. Uh, which ones are going to get picked up and which ones aren't going to, you know, make that cult status. And, and Rocky Horror obviously was a comedy, but it's got a very small cast. And that very small cast are obviously having fun through the whole production. Oh, without a doubt. And yeah. and it's it's far simpler than... Tommy. Oh, I mean, the the basic story of Tommy is is simple, but it's so it it gets very convoluted. um, I thought Um, there are sections that just drag. Yeah, they but but you have to put some visuals to the music. I mean, you can't just have a blank spot if you don't have a visual interpretation. But they have to be interesting visuals, though. They have to be something that's engaging, you know. And a lot of it just wasn't engaging in any way, shape, or form. Even to me, you know, the opening scenes of the movie. To me, just kind of dragged on. I'm just, I was just kind of waiting for something to happen. It's just like, okay. I mean, I felt like if they had made that lean and just jumped into some of the crazier stuff, cut out, you know, cousin Kevin and um, abusive Uncle Ernie, we'd probably have a different impression of the film. You know, if they had been able to cut the fat, so to speak. But that's the problem. They didn't. What I really wanted to see at the beginning was Anne Margaret naked. That's what I wanted to see at the beginning because honestly, that would have been the perfect opportunity. Maybe that would they, have, that would have hooked me and drawn me in, and that would have sold the movie. Maybe that was the the seed that they were trying to plant, and that they wanted us to think she'd be naked yeah, later. And well, the seed I could plant. The closest she came to <laughs> Jimmy is a renowned horticulturist. <laughs> yes, if indeed. You didn't know. Yes, she, yes and, indeed. And botanist. The closest that we came <laughs> to, to seeing her dirt. naked was in the. Uh, was the whole baked beans, chocolate, and dish soap scene when she's straddling? A, when she's straddling a the rather large phallic pillow. Pillow, yes, indeed, and just ugh, filthy. I'm more of a Sally Fields kind of guy. Really? Yeah, I'm more of a she's Rosie O'Donnell. I'm more of a Rosie. Oh, O'Donnell. she was adorable from that period. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm more of a Rosie O'Donnell kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> you love oh, you some biker babes. Oh baby, baby. <laughs> Warmer than my dreams. My name's Lisa. <laughs> Is that why you watch Now and Then Naked? <laughs> no. Bye. <laughs> so if we were going to do musicals, why the hell didn't we do the Toxic Avenger stage show? Has it been recorded? By screenwright Joe Pietro. Yeah, it's, I don't know if it's, I'm sure it's recorded somewhere, but there's a uh, rock opera Toxic Avenger. Stu has no interest. Uh, yeah. You know Sorry. what I did have you an interest me, in? You lost me at Toxic Avenger. This, uh, the leaked Suicide Squad trailer? 
Ooh. I yes. wasn't I wasn't horribly impressed. Too no. much too much slow motion for me. I know. Well, I know. what's yep. going to happen I is to succeed though cuz I, I love do. villains. I do too. For one. It's, it's I don't want be DC the Will to Smith challenge show. Marvel. It is going to be the Will, Will Smith. Will Smith hasn't Deadshot played a supporting going, yep. actor since Independence Day. No, you're absolutely right. I think right. Joker's probably going to be a flashback. Uh, I don't um, I don't think he's going to be. Well, that's the thing though. How much how much time does Will Smith get in the trailer? I mean, a lot. He's got the dumbest lines. Let's go save the world. How many times have you said that in a movie, Will Smith? Seriously, almost every movie that he's in. Yeah, Except no, I, I, it's. I, I'm afraid that it's going to be. There's Will Smith doing his best Will Smith impression, and then the Joker, the Harlequin story is fantastic, and then there's, uh, I don't really know the backstory there's... on under the thing type guy, uh, killer. Croc? Yeah, Killer, Killer Croc. Killer Croc, yeah. yeah. Killer Croc. Well, the the problem with this is that they're they're trying to what DC is doing well is is the television series. What they're falling down on are the what I think they're really going I I, I love the most recent Batman versus Superman trailer. Much better than the first one. Oh, yeah, so I much. loved it. I thought it was great. I think it sets it up very very well. But I am so afraid of this movie. I am so afraid that that this is going to become the campy Justice League of the the nineteen seventies cartoon era. You know, and, and but again. They in the comics you can get away with some of the stuff that they're doing on screen. It's not necessarily translating the way the Marvel characters are. Yeah, it's well, just it's, not. It, it puts Marvel in, in an interesting position, whereas the Avengers have established themselves of these like clever, quirky, very colorful, very lighthearted, very family friendly PG thirteen uh, like place in film, and so. DC, there you know, there's a lot of people who would like to see those films darker, so they're like, let's make it darker. Oh, by the That's way, it's going to be darker. Right. Anybody else see the news about Wesley Snipes possibly reprising his role as Blade? He's been trying to push that. I don't think anybody else. Is no, it pick seems it up. pretty legit. What? I think he's kryptonite. I don't think anybody's going to touch him. No, you know how much he is to insure. I bet he's yeah, a fortune. Just an incredible amount. Did anyone else see? Uh, the new images from, or somewhat new images from X Men Apocalypse. Apocalypse no, no, looks really dorky. Well, I'm hoping we'll they do something with CGI, even though I don't normally say that to kind of. Right. I mean, you couldn't have a real life person be it Apocalypse is so because early, he can. Though. He can. He could be as tall as the tallest tower or human size. Right. Um, no, but it's, it's like it's like the the images of Joker. There is one image, but you don't yeah. really see him in action or hear him. So you can people. Just flip their lids, and, and this is I the, even I even thought they weren't going to use that image because there were reports right. well, that it was we, an I image. That yeah, this is the like problem with the internet, though. You know, this is the problem with the internet that people get their teeth into it and and worry it like a bo- dog worrying a bone, and and don't realize that there's so much work that has to be done to these characters already. Well, when they start you know, making still. these trailers before the movies even finish, because there's this race against the clock. You got to get the trailer out before the next Avengers movie. Yeah, no kidding. No, I, he he looks fine. It, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. I think that there's going to be something with that. It, no. I feel like you're coddling a child back to sleep. It's going to be okay, Ben. Don't worry. But that's not the apocalypse I remember from, from the <laughs> cartoons. Of course it's not. He was even cheesier, and that was when Wolverine wore the black and yellow outfit. I mean, come on. Actually, he looks better in the straightforward shot. I think part of the problem, too, is... Uh, one of the images, the lighting seems to be brighter than it probably would be in the movie. 
everything seems really, really it's gonna, blue yeah, and bright. There'll be contrast so. and light and shadow and everything else. That's the problem. They don't have any post-production on these photos. None. So. None. All it is is just pure set photos. Just deal with it. What I like, That's too, is how people are like, I'm definitely not going to see this movie now. And then they end up going oh, to yeah, see it. So they can tear are. it apart even more on the internet. Just right, like I'm like, probably oh, going to really? go see Ant-Man this weekend, even though I was never a big fan. That's gotten some incredibly good reviews. I know it has. The, I love it's gotten the trailer. great reviews. And it looks good. And I like Paul Rudd. I think he's very funny. And I think he, if he can bring that sense of humor to this character, that... that you know, uh, well, frankly, that Robert Downey Jr. brought to to Tony Stark, I think he might have something here. You mm-hmm. know, I think they might. But um, again, I, I uh, he wasn't my one of my favorite characters. Will I see the film? Yeah, probably. Will I see it in the movies? Yeah, I will because it's an adventure. It's a you know, it's a it's it's a fantasy science fiction action film, and there's no better place to see it than on the big screen, as far as I'm concerned. Plus, if it is, you know, a a fun movie and a really good movie, it'll definitely be one of those redemption stories, because that was one of those productions where they lost directors multiple times. Didn't they they lose, like, three directors? Yeah, at least three. three. It seemed like they lost at least three directors. You know, I think they lost their Ant-Man a couple of times. Yeah. At least, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was definitely fraught with issues. But again, hopefully, hopefully, this, it will go just fine. It'll be a good movie. But I don't know. We'll here's see. To hoping, and here's, here's to hoping, and here's to hoping the Daredevil really is in the new Avengers or the Civil War. Supposedly, he's supposed to be. Spider Man is 100. percent Yeah, already Spider Man is 100. percent If Daredevil shows up, I'll be a happy camper because let's be honest. Why weren't they in the original? I mean, the the first Avengers anyway. It's their city. It's their city. It's yeah. New York City. Why would Spider-Man have not been there with bells on when his city's being blown up? I'm sorry. He's there. doesn't matter it's the Avengers movie. Spider-Man would have been there. So would Daredevil. Forget the that fact was... that his territory was Hell's Kitchen, but it doesn't matter. He would still been there. Well, according to Sam Raimi, that was Spider-Man's emo phase. Spider-Man was angsty. Let's get, just forget get that out. that happened. Well, the whole dance scene. I want to forget that oh very my much. Gosh. So. What about the uh, Macho Man Randy Savage scene? That was pretty good. Bruce Campbell is these. <laughs> I'll see myself out. Yes, please do. By the way, yeah. did anybody else watch the full trailer that was released for Ash vs. Evil Dead? No. Oh my God! They pretty much took elements of all three of Evil Dead films. Evil Dead films, which uh, I should exclude the remake, obviously. Right. Because it's Bruce Campbell back as Ash, right. and my face is exploding with excitement. But they pretty much, it seems like, successfully took elements from, you know, the more serious Evil Dead, more humor-driven but still kind of disgusting and scary Evil Dead 2, and then a little bit of that dash of over the top from Army of the Darkness, just put them in a blender and emerged with something completely delicious. Ridiculous. Yeah, I would, I would highly encourage you guys to check that out. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to distribute it outside of it's going to be on stars, but mm-hmm. I will go out of my way to watch this. I will pay whatever I have to. Yeah, I literally have it brought up loading. As soon as I click stop on Audacity, we will be watching it. Oh, so who's going to pick out our 30th episode? Ben should. Um, it's our 30th anniversary, guys. I'm glad we're holding hands for this. Um, no, it's one year, actually. Well, yeah, I've been doing this a full year now, so... Make it a good one, please, Ben. If it sucks, I'm going to just throw it back. How does that sound? No. Uh, how about I edit that back it. out? How's that sound? I also put the room back in there. Are you looking? No, you, I'm you cannot. I do. <laughs> that was Ugh. the saddest look I've ever seen in Stu. 
<laughs> Fight Club. <laughs> but we can't talk about it, but it's Fight Club. <laughs> All right. All right. I've got the golden ticket. <laughs> Who, was that yours? No. Was that yours, too? Or was it? Let me see. I can't remember. I wrote them all down. Well, you wrote but... them all down. That might have been one of mine. Yeah, Fight I don't Club. think I don't yeah. think I put Fight Club in there. Yeah, cool. I mean, I don't cool. know that we can talk about it. Though, Let's we? rip this shit apart. I have all sorts of problems with Fight Club. Do you? Oh yeah. Okay. I think I've only seen it once, so it'll be good for me to watch. One of it the again. best soundtracks that I've oh, yeah. ever heard. I remember in my that. Life. Oh, I remember that definitely. So yeah. Well, um, anything else to say about Tommy from Ben? I would just say, you know, that I'm really disappointed that th- Tommy seems like one of those movies that uh, you would have think you would have thought that this movie would have been the one with the the flaming guitar instead of Mad Max Fury Road because <laughs> you know this movie had everything ridiculous in it, you know, from the Acid Truly. Queen scene to gigantic pinballs that were actually buoys. Uh, well, the Doc Martens of the, Elton John. The, I mean, the, the port that comes. Uh, almost crashing in from the fire, yeah. but that's the thing. It's the movie's like a, a a constant barrage, and there's really no really no sense of pacing, and there's really no sense of awareness, like self awareness, from the creators of the movie. Sometimes it works to the f- advantage of the movie because, like, this is just so over the top and ridiculous, and I'm laughing even though it was probably unintentional. So overall, yeah, it's entertaining, but like we've stated before, it does drag at points. So. I would recommend it to anyone who likes The Who. Obviously, if you like The Who, you've probably seen this one or more times. You have to. It's a rites of passage. It truly so, is. And if any, if you're looking for one of those movies to show to people who haven't seen it and you want to say, hey, this is something completely ridiculous and that's your thing, go for it because this movie is completely ridiculous. <laughs> that might be your thing. No, I'll agree with Ben. It does, it does drag at times. If you want to really get a true sense of this film, just listen to the album. That's my that's my thought. Just listen to the music. Listen to the music. Listen to the story through the music. Create your own images. You want to see Roger Daltrey without a shirt on or Anne Margaret looking stunning? White then girl. By all means, watch this movie. Um, but otherwise, the there were no outstanding performances necessarily. There was just it was truly just a translation of a stage production onto onto the screen, as far as I'm concerned. So that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I definitely agree. There was a lot going on here. I can totally appreciate if I had got the the soundtrack, got the album, and had listened to it, and then you know years later you're anticipating this film and the visuals are on screen and you don't have to think about the words. I've listened to the soundtrack a handful of times, but there's a lot to listen to. There's a lot to focus on. It's a very conceptual uh, art piece, and it was it was it was okay. It was, okay. It was good. Yeah. Yeah, it was okay. Not one of my not not my top ten. My number one is still West Side Story of all time. My favorite musical. Wouldn't quite call that a rock opera. No, um, definitely not. But it's beautiful. So uh, looks like next week we're doing Fight Club. Fight Club. Fight Club. Well, all right. Until next Tuesday, I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randolph. I'm Ben Stewart. And we're all about to watch the Ash vs. Evil Dead trailer. And this is movie show sales all.